Welcome to the Sui Generis Show, your unique perspective on all of your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. With Erica Merrill, I'm attorney Brian Jones, criminal defense and civil rights warrior. Today in segment one, we'll be talking about the changes brought about to Ohio's criminal justice system in the wake of the November 3rd election results. Johnny Depp loses his defamation lawsuit against Amber Heard and the weird case of a musician arrested and jailed for the promotional photos he took for his band. As promised in segment two, we'll be unpacking the trend of warrantless digital surveillance and its increasing use in criminal cases and civil lawsuits. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and follow us on social media. Look to the law office of brianjones.com and all of our social media outlets, including facebook.com slash Central Ohio Criminal Defense and at TLOBJ on all of the other social media for everything you need to know about your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. Erica, did you see in the news this week, while we're still waiting for the presidential election to end, Erica, did you see in the news this week while we're still waiting for presidential election results, several issues that we've explored before fared well at the polls. For instance, the city of Columbus voted with 74% approval to install a civilian review board to oversee the Columbus Police Department. Yes, I did, Brian. That is so interesting. And we have gone over so many incidents that have pushed some of these uh, changes that need to happen into the spotlight. And so if you wouldn't mind reminding us of what happened in this case to get this particular topic on the ballot. Ohioans were motivated to protest in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And we're gonna get back to that topic in just a moment. However, in response to the brutal crackdown on protesters, including a lawmaker in Columbus who was pepper sprayed and won re-election, the city put a referendum on the ballot, adding this civilian review board to the checks that have been added to the Columbus Police Department. Part of the policy response to this incident was the proposal that passed, amending the city charter and creating the civilian police review board. Now, the, the review board has the authority to launch and carry out investigations of alleged police misconduct, subpoena testimony and evidence during their investigations, and make recommendations to the division of police. Lastly, but not least, they'll be appointing and managing the new position of the inspector general of the division of police. They will also be having a hand in future negotiations of police union contracts. So this is a major overhaul and, and provides significant citizen oversight of the police department in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, that sounds like a very positive change and I'm really happy that, that these things are happening. Absolutely. The other thing that really changed in Columbus is longtime Republican prosecutor Ron O'Brien was unseated by his Democratic challenger and former 10th District Court of Appeals Judge Gary Tyak. Wow, that's unbelievable. That seems like another giant change. I mean, Ohio is just <laughs> going forward <laughs> without apology here. So what do you think will happen when Judge Tyak takes the office? 
Judge Tayek has been very vocal about his desire to bring diversity to the office and intends to immediately hire more minority and women attorneys and staffers. He's been very vague about whether he will bring more prosecutions against police officers. However, he has been vocal about advocating for police accountability. Now, I agree with former prosecutor O'Brien's analysis that Columbus has changed demographically and the strong Werner that combined with the strong voter turnout in this election and the community's high level of motivation in favor of police accountability was really the final nail in his coffin in, in losing this election. Uh, I expect to see drastic changes in the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office. Um, and he's also expressed a desire to bring accountability to the State House, which sits in Franklin County. Now, elsewhere in Ohio, Hamilton County has elected its first lesbian sheriff, a woman who was fired by her opponent and had cited discrimination by his office as a reason for her termination. That is very exciting news, but it does have an interesting twist, doesn't it? I mean, is this the former head of Hamilton County Jail who was fired for reporting excessive force and issues with training? That's exactly who it is. Charmaine McGuffey was the director of the Hamilton County Jail and raised a whistleblower complaint against the jail, after which she was terminated. In the ensuing litigation, she revealed her hostile work environment that her former boss and former sheriff Jim Neal had created. Incredibly, this lawsuit is still pending with a trial scheduled for December 7th, 2020. Now, the judge who denied the defense motion for summary judgment noted that there were obvious differences in how the sheriff's department handled McGuffey's investigation as that compared to other investigations that it had conducted regarding similar situated uh, plaintiffs. Wow, this is so interesting. I wonder if this is the first time anything like this has happened. And I, you know, I understand uh, it's kind of an old case, but uh, do you mind just explaining how this has come about? So that's right. This is a case that was filed back in 2017, back when McGuffey was originally fired. And she is only now getting her day in court here at the end of 2020. It really shows that Hamilton County as a community has rejected um, the way that she was treated and whichever harm you choose, um, embraced her for the vision that she had for law enforcement in Hamilton County. Now, Hamilton County is Cincinnati for those of us, uh, for those out there that are listening and aren't familiar with the state of Ohio and its, and its various counties. Um, it's a very hopeful day for uh, Cincinnati and Hamilton County in general, whose law enforcement officers have had a deep and sordid history of prejudice and abuse against marginalized groups. That history enters a brand new era as new perspective and representation takes hold of the reins of leadership. And Erica, marijuana had an amazing election day this week. Montana, New Jersey, South Dakota all legalized recreational marijuana. South Dakota and Mississippi also passed initiatives that allow for medical marijuana. All told, 15 states have legalized recreational marijuana. Now, Oregon went a step further and decriminalized all drugs and looks to create the Portugal experiment here in the United States. Now, we're gonna look at this concept and this issue in general in more depth in a later show. But essentially, it's a treatment-based model 
rather than a punitive-based model in response to drug possession, drug use, abuse, addiction, and the whole panoply of problems that, uh, that drug abuse and drug addiction cause. Wow, so in Portugal, they're actually testing this out. That's correct. This has been this has been an experiment in Europe in in a variety of locations for many, many years and has been very successful. Um, needle return programs, uh, legalization of drugs and safe places to use even illegal drugs have been initiatives in Europe for 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 years. Um, and they have demonstrated time and time again significant reductions in other crimes. So when you take drug possession out as a crime um, and you give people safe spaces to use drugs and the opportunity to get treatment should they want it, the, the incidents of theft, burglary, and other violent and violent crimes all go down uh, hand in hand with the overall reduction in crime statistics through the elimination of drug possession as a crime. Wow, that's really excellent. I'm, I'm glad that we are starting to test that over here. I did have a question for you because I, I want to hear more about uh, the decriminalization, but I, I also I wondered with all of this legalization of marijuana, certainly there have been plenty of people thrown in jail for these types of charges. And in fact, I even had an uncle, it was a long time ago though, but he, he was made an example of in Maine. Uh, for growing marijuana in the woods and helicopters came in the DEA was at his house. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> and it was a long time ago. He has actually passed away now for, for quite a few years, but um, you know, yeah. So would they ever consider like letting these people that were arrested and sentenced for uh, crimes having to do with essentially pot uh, would, they, would they consider letting those people out? Yes, Erica. Many states that have not only decriminalized but legalized marijuana have gone back and either um, released individuals from prison and um, expunged records related to marijuana possession. Now, Oregon has not legalized the use of heroin. They've decriminalized it. So they've done essentially what Ohio had done many, many years ago um, with marijuana possession. It's essentially a citation at this point for which you have to pay a fine and, and some court costs um, to kind of keep people in through the system and give them the opportunity to, to see the available resources for rehabilitation. Um, but yes, Erica, absolutely. The states that have 100% legalized marijuana will likely now be going back and releasing people from prison and or expunging their records. Well, that is incredible news. I, I don't know why I didn't know this, but it, it had been uh, on my mind for a while since I know that the states have been legalizing marijuana for a few years now. So it's that is pretty exciting. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, so tell us today, why are drug decriminalization and marijuana legalization important issues for the criminal defense bar? Drug possession arrests make up the majority of all arrests, both at a state and a federal level in the United States. In 2007, 1.8 million people were arrested for federal drug possession, and an additional 14 million individuals were violated on their probation and returned to prison 
due to drug use violations. Those statistics drown out any other offense, the closest being simple assault at 1.2 million people being arrested for that crime in that year. Marijuana control also has a deeply racist history as it first became outlawed as a way to control the immigrant migrant labor force that crossed borders in the Southwest and then further became a way to control, crack down and infiltrate um, civil rights movement in the 1960s and 70s. Drug charges generally, but in especially marijuana, have been used to incarcerate and keep people of color on probation in the probation violation cycle for decades, and particularly are used to target both poor people and people of color. So the, the racist history of drug enforcement laws um, is, is a critical step towards eliminating systemic racism and righting the wrongs of the past two centuries of this country. Wow, that is amazing. I'm so excited for this change. And I'm glad that people are going to get a chance to really re rehabilitate their uh, drug addictions. And for people that are just recreational users, they are not going to be thrown in jail for, for doing that. I mean, it's kind of like having alcohol. And I think that they're finally starting to see that. That's absolutely right, Erica. And in many cases, alcohol is often found to be a more dangerous drug than a variety of these other you know, currently illegal narcotics. So we are entering a new era. Um, and I, for one, believe that it is an era of significantly less racism and systemic control and limitations of our freedoms through uh, the labeling of people uh, as, as felons and misdemeanors through drug abuse offenses. Moving away from election news, Erica, did you see that the Johnny Depp case has come to a conclusion and it didn't go well for Jack Sparrow? Well, <laughs> ahoy mateys. It was a crazy, uh, it was a crazy thing. I mean, can you remind us what, I know he was going in there to try to, um, it was defamation, right? And so she was defaming him and he was trying to combat that and get a bit of his reputation back. Um, although that's very hard to do after people say certain things about you and it's out in the news the way it is with someone as famous as Johnny Depp. Um, can you just remind us a little bit about what happened? I know we've spoken about this particular case in the past. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Johnny Depp had been accused by Amber Heard and the Sun had a newspaper in, in the United Kingdom had published these stories, these absolutely terrible allegations against Johnny Depp. And so what he did was he sued both the Sun and Amber, Amber Heard in an English court for defamation. Um, what we have, uh, what we have discovered more recently is that he's lost that suit. Um, you may recall when we originally discussed the suit, I had cringed at the information that was revealed in, in open court. And as a defense attorney, uh, a criminal defense attorney and a civil plaintiff's attorney, it was a really difficult factual case for him to make because in the civil court, the standard isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And as a plaintiff, you carry the burden of proof. 
So Johnny Depp and his lawyers took on the affirmative act of trying to prove a negative, to prove something didn't happen, which is incredibly difficult. And one of the foundational reasons why we have the government carrying the burden of proof in a criminal case. You know, if you make an accusation against somebody, you should have to prove it. Well, when you're making the accusation of defamation, you then have to prove a negative, and it gets very difficult to do in a court of law. The goal of the suit was to make Johnny Depp uh, whole after his reputation was damaged by the allegations of Ms. Heard and the son. Yet the suit itself revealed many more uh, sordid details about the public that had not been that the public had previously not been aware of, and frankly, uh, resulted in the final nail of Johnny Depp's public image coffin. But what is next for this saga? Mr. Depp will appeal the loss, as indicated by his attorneys, who also called the ruling perverse and bewildering. But again, the purpose of the lawsuit, is, and, and especially a lawsuit of this nature, is to choose one set of facts from two competing perspectives. And the judge did so. And just because Johnny Depp doesn't agree uh, with the result, doesn't like Amber Heard or believe that she's a truthful person, doesn't mean the judge made a mistake or that a court of appeals will find her less credible. Uh, that's the risk of this sort of lawsuit and in its most fundamental sense, this case. The judge found her to be more credible than him. Um, and fighting that fight at the court of appeals level will be difficult. We will certainly continue to follow up and check in as this case works its way through the criminal justice system. Uh, but it's important to note uh, that, that these sorts of cases are very difficult to prove. Um, and, and Johnny Depp has taken on a uh, you know, kind of tried to eat an elephant, so to speak. Well, I don't think anyone should try to eat an elephant. <laughs> They're kind of tough. <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens. Do you, know, do you know how you eat an elephant, Erica? One bite at a time, Brian. That is correct. <laughs> One bite at a time. Erica, did you also see in the news this week that Justin Kaufman, an artist and musician in Tennessee, has been released from federal custody after a judge rejected the prosecutor's attempt to keep him locked up over a photo shoot for his punk rock band. What? That's crazy. How can a musician be locked up for a band shoot? Isn't that a violation of the First Amendment? So yes, in my opinion, absolutely. Uh, this is absolutely a retaliatory indictment in my opinion. Um, and I think it's an absolute disgrace to the the assist the by the to the United States Attorney's Office, which you know among prosecutors' offices is generally held in very high esteem, um, but has lost some of that steam in, in recent esteem in recent years. So technically, uh, Justin Kaufman was being held on on federal weapons charges that make it uh, basically a case that makes it illegal for drug users to possess weapons. Uh, Kaufman, who is a, a licensed and properly registered gun owner, um, had a baggie of marijuana in his um, in his home when his home was raided, um, and so he's he's charged with illegal possession of a weapon. Uh, however, this statute is very rarely used, um, and the reality is is that this whole case has been used to obscure. Uh, what is what is really an attempt to silence a 
a Antifa protester. Um, this charge is, is frequently actually used against uh, white supremacists who can't be found to violate any other laws when they're plotting you know, their, their overthrow of the government. So this is very interesting, especially when you bring in the history of it like this. What was it originally that brought the law enforcement officer's attention to this photo shoot? Snapshots from the band's concept art photo shoot made the rounds on Facebook and they were being sold as t-shirts. Then those t-shirts came to law enforcement's attention. Now, not surprisingly, the police department failed to mention in the charging instruments, the photos were not taken during a protest, but rather were part of an artistic photo shoot. Uh, the, the photo shoot depicted Mr. Kaufman standing in front of a police station holding what appeared to be a Molotov cocktail. No, the reality was it was a mixture of water and apple cider vinegar that uh, Mr. Kaufman's girlfriend used as a centerpiece to their lovely dining set. Uh, but there was, a, there was an, a stylized photo shoot done and the photo shoot was actually conducted prior to George Floyd's murder and prior to the protests that, that ripped through the nation this summer. But a federal United States attorney appointed by Donald Trump saw the pictures and chose to, in, to investigate and ultimately indict Mr. Kaufman. It's yet one more example of why you need a defense attorney and, and charges even as absurd as these require the assistance of a skilled, trained criminal defense attorney who is not going to accept the government's version of events, but conduct their own independent investigation. All of these little tidbits that the photo shoot was done before the murder of George Floyd, that the contents of the bottle was apple cider vinegar, that it was actually a centerpiece um, in their lovely little home and garden worthy uh, dining room set, is evidence that the government refused to turn over and refused to tell the court. And when it was brought to the court's attention, resulted in Mr. Kaufman's release. This is a prime example also of why our main topic, um, as it was speech on Facebook that was monitored by law enforcement and led to the warrant that led to the investigation that led to the search of his home, that led to ultimately his arrest and incarceration. Warrantless surveillance of our digital footprint has become a reliable tool for police and their investigations. Prosecutors use social media in a myriad of ways in investigating and prosecuting criminal offenses. It's not just sex offenders and darknet drug dealers that police are sweeping up while monitoring the internet and its forums in real time. Your digital footprint leaves evidence out there that law enforcement can snatch up and will misconstrue to secure a warrant for your arrest so that they can haul you downtown. Wow. Well, um, I guess I'm thankful I'm not doing any photo shoots and I'm not part of a famous band at this moment. <laughs> um, well, Tell us a little bit more about the, the, the main topic for today. I'm pretty excited to hear about digital footprints and I'm also concerned <laughs> for my own digital footprint. 
Well, Erica, you should be because your digital footprint includes all of your online activity, including your comments on news articles, posts on social media, records of your online purchases, your emails, your likes on websites, which websites you've been to. And using incognito mode is not in and of itself sufficient to cover up those tracks. Your footprint is also not just confined to your activity online. It also includes your location information that's sent by your phone through your browser, through Facebook app, through your, uh, your Waze um, driving app or Google Maps if you use that or Apple Maps. I don't know anybody that actually uses that for driving directions, but it's possible there's somebody out there. Um, your cell phone is constantly tracking your whereabouts and constantly checking in and identifying Wi-Fi networks that it can, though may not actually connect to. Um, and your IP address is, 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 is just like Pigpen walking across the stage in the Peanuts cartoon, leaving a little trail of dust everywhere you go. A large subset of this information um, is your GPS location history and the searches that um, are done both from your device's connection history to the searches that you actually run in your browser or on your phone. The key thing to remember about your digital footprint is that it is like a live footprint. It is an unintentional trace that can follow you everywhere you go, both online and in the real world. Wow, I really love, <clears throat> excuse me. I really love your analogy about pig pen. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can imagine how your digital footprint is just every single thing you do online, what you buy, where you go. Um, you know, that's, that is definitely interesting. So are there ways to look at your digital footprint and like start to begin to figure out how to erase it? I mean, I feel like it's a little bit like a credit report. When you want to improve your credit, you go on and you find out, you know, what your score is and uh, who's been reporting you. And then you, you know, get rid of those charges and you improve it. So something like that for a digital footprint? There, there absolutely is. The internetsociety.org has a fantastic tutorial and short video lessons on how to trace and erase your digital footprint, as well as resources to help you teach your loved ones how to be safe online. Other methods include using uh, Boolean search techniques in a search engine like Google, for example, searching first name, last name, at, or first name, last name, file type, colon doc, or in-text first name, last name, uh, to reveal sources. You know, so you put in, in all of those fields uh, your first name and your last name. Um, there are also websites like Spokio, PQ, and Family Tree Now that aggregate information about online users. And you can opt out of these services using excellent advice from the writers at Lifehacker. Um, and we will be providing a link uh, how to opt out of the most popular people search sites uh, to that Lifehacker um, on one of our, uh, it's going to appear right there. There it is. Um, Finally, maintaining your browser health by clearing your cache and your cookies is critical and a tried and true way of reducing or and, and in some ways partially eliminating your online footprint. So clearing your cache and your browser cookies is like giving Pigpen a bath. And he's going to get dirty again. Uh, you're going to have to keep cleaning them up. 
but it can limit the amount of droppings that you leave in your digital life. <laughs> I love that. So why is it that law enforcement officers do not need a warrant when they are collecting this social media information? And there's no privacy expectation in what you put online. Um, it's just as if you were standing out in public holding a sign that says, I am doing this thing. There's no privacy information in that. Now, I am a drug dealer. If you pulled a sign out that says, I am selling drugs, the police are probably going to run by and say, excuse me, sir, are you selling drugs? Um, well, while police officers need a warrant to collect proprietary information, such as deleted posts or who owns a particular username or what IP address is linked to that username, that data can be collected from public locations as well. Most importantly, your internet service provider will turn over that information if they have it. Uh, for example, during the Black Lives Matter demonstrations earlier this year, police officers were monitoring Twitter and Facebook, both the pub public feeds and the private groups there. And they gained membership and infiltrated those groups for tracking of, organized, or, uh, for tracking of the organization of events, um, they for looking for posting of evidence such as property crimes and curfew violations and to identify pro, uh, protesters using facial recognition software uh, as they compare that against profile pictures and protest pictures. Likewise, it was social media that brought down Kyle Rittenhouse, the white supremacist uh, who was recently extradited to Wisconsin to face murder charges. His post, he, he, in his posts, he expressed his intention to travel to Wisconsin, as well as a variety of selfies of his firearms and later videos of the assaults and murder that he committed. Now, what's key here is that because there is no warrant, there is no knowing when we are being watched. So caution must always be exercised. Wow. Well, I, I can imagine too, I know that when I used to own a recruiting company, I used to tell people to be careful of what they put on social media because a lot of companies will check your social media to see what you're like. And in fact, a couple of my candidates didn't get a job offer, even though they probably would have had they not been doing silly things on social media. Who else do we have to worry about? <laughs> Well, so civil lawyers are using the digital footprint to establish personal injury plaintiffs' injuries aren't as severe as they claim. Uh, pictures of individuals dancing, swimming, riding around in four-wheelers and whatnot. Uh, Bureau of Workers' Compensation investigators use social media to catch false workers' comp claims and disability claims. Probation officers will use social media to catch alcohol, drug use, violations of court curfew, consortium with known felons, leaving the geographic area in which a person is supposed to be confined, or possessing weapons and other contraband. Child support enforcement agencies are using digital footprints to track down folks who owe child support, using uh, check-ins and other information to identify bank locations and employers. And similarly, debt collectors are using your digital footprint to track down your assets, identify addresses, find property, and repossess your stuff. Wow, all of this information is very scary and it makes the social media uh, platforms it look like a place that is very dangerous. Well, I, I agree 100%, Erica. The internet is the public square at your fingertips. And if you wouldn't scream it to the top of your lungs in the middle of a crowded restaurant, you probably shouldn't put it online. 
just like you would in the public, uh, you've got to be protective of your identity and your property. Crucially, our First Amendment right to express ourselves from retaliation from the government does not apply to these private corporations. Uh, it does not give us a free pass to post evidence of crimes without consequences. You know, our use of the internet feels free because it's so accessible. But in any situation where access is free, you are the product. Your information, your demographics, your likes, your pictures, your product, your check-ins, your GPS locations are the currency that you are exchanging for the privilege of looking at your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed. Now that doesn't mean you can't enjoy TikTok and Facebook, but it does mean you need to be aware and armed with the knowledge and the risks of how to protect yourself. Well, thank you so much for this information. I think that it's invaluable and I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are running to their computers and they are with the intention of erasing their digital footprint and they probably should. Absolutely. You know, it, it's important to maintain evidence of your innocence, but uh, you never know what's going to be valuable and what isn't. So Erica, I appreciate you joining me for this discussion today and everybody out there who's downloaded and streamed our podcast today. Thank you for listening as well. To become more informed about how the election is influencing your rights, police and government accountability, privacy in the digital age, and everything you need to know about your constitutional rights and the civil rights that you possess, check out the law office of brianjones.com or find us on facebook.com slash Central Ohio Criminal Defense at TLOBJ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok and find everything you need to know about your rights using our hashtags, no walk, no talk, and no blow. We'll be back next week with a sui generis perspective on the next big thing in civil rights and the criminal injustice system, as well as a discussion of the Portuguese model of drug intervention that we see playing out now in Oregon. Erica, my grandpa always told me, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And to that, when I'm with my friends, I add, if you do and you get caught, call me. I'll defend your rights as I would want mine defended. 